And good morning again. I'm kind of up and down here today in this service. Good to see everybody. And uh, Rico Patterson's going to be coming in just a moment, one of our other pastors, to take on the second title of Jesus in uh, Isaiah 9-6, Mighty God. But before he did, I just wanted to share real quickly about some exciting things I want you to be aware of uh, over the next month. Uh, Tonight, starting tonight, we have a special service. We have an ordination. Uh, a real wonderful time for us as a family. We have one person uh, being ordained into the deacon body and then a little bit rare. We don't usually have this many at one time. We have four people being uh, ordained into the gospel ministry. So that's tonight, six o'clock right here in this room. We'd love to have you be here and be a part of that. And then also to remind you, tell you a little about our, our uh, Christmas Eve service. Uh, that'll be at three, five, and seven online. I know a lot of churches are, are, are doing those. I kind of wish we were, but when we've got, that's such a big crowd for us and trying to figure out how to manage that crowd and do that on a night like that, we felt like probably the easiest, simplest, safest way for everybody would be online. And we have really worked to make it, are working to make it a very special service. We'll be uh, filming that from our my house, our house. So it'll be uh, Christmas Eve from the pastor's house. Uh, so I, I invite you all to come in and watch. Uh, but that'll be at 3, 5, and 7. Hope you'll watch that. Hope you'll share it with others. Uh, maybe as a way you all can do that together, even if you're around the country. Uh, it'll be about 30, 35 minutes long. We know getting everybody in front of a spot at home. You know, here you got the walls that kind of make everybody behave, right? But but at home, everything going wild, we uh, we know that's a, that needs to be kind of a little bit quicker time. But we've got a very full time uh, in that 30, 35 minutes. So 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7, Christmas Eve. Then um, the Sunday after Christmas, uh, December 27th, we're going to do the Lord's Supper. Uh, I think we've done that once this year, but we haven't done it enough and just figuring out how to do that with everything that is going on. We will be using the prepackaged. I know that's not everybody's favorite, but in light of 2020, it probably is the way to go right now. But what that means is nobody's touched that, breathed on that. It, it comes prepackaged to each individual. You'll get it on the way in. Uh, so it's, you know, there won't be lots of hands all over it. Uh, and we'll, we'll share in the Lord's Supper and certainly we'll work to make that a very meaningful morning as we gather for worship and, and do that. And then January 3rd, I'll be starting a new, uh, uh, sermon series that'll carry us through through February and we'll just throw out today this one question why family in in our world today why why even do that why why have family we'll be looking at that January and February y'all welcome Rico today to come and bring to us the word good morning church Certainly excited to be here today. I, I think I mentioned the last service that I think this is the first time that I've had the opportunity to preach since I've been officially named a pastor. So certainly excited about that. You know, I'm always reminded of what Paul said, and I think I've probably shared this before, but Paul said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So, you know, this is God's ministry, Amen. It is his ministry, totally his ministry, and we're here simply to serve and worship him. 
Let's give the choir a hand. Didn't the choir do an excellent job? Amen. And, and I love that song, you know, what a powerful name it is. You know, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. You know, you have no rival, you have no equal. And that's something, some of what we're going to be talking about today. So we're continuing the series that Randy started. Uh, an emphasis on Isaiah 9, 6, talking about some of the various names of, of Jesus Christ. And one of them is uh, the mighty God. So that's what we will be talking about today. So let's go to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 and 2, and then, verse, and then we're going to jump down and look at verses uh, 6 and 7. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, uh, verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. And it reads as follows. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. That's distress. When at the first, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. Now let's jump down to verse 6. Verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it's again, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to assemble together just one more time, Lord, here on this Christmas season, Lord, on this Sunday morning, Lord, just for the opportunity, Lord, to hear a word from the Lord. Lord, I pray as always, Lord, just ask for the filling and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord, for we know that we can do nothing without you, Lord, but yet I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. So, Lord, as I stand here this morning, I just ask for the filling of your Holy Spirit. I ask that you would touch me, Lord, touch the hearts of the people, Lord, and help us both to receive what thus saith the Lord. For, Lord, as we come here this morning, stand here this morning. Again, we are not here for form or fashion, Lord. We are not here to glorify ourselves, Lord, but we are here to lift up your name, that awesome, magnificent, precious, glorious, and just wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So I ask right now, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen me, Lord, that you would use me and help me to lift up your name. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen. Our message for this morning is entitled, What a Mighty God We Serve. What a Mighty God We Serve. Now in this first verse here in the ninth chapter, the prophet Isaiah described the afflictions that Zebulun and Naphtali would suffer as the northernmost tribes in the land of Israel when the nation of Assyria, which was a foreign nation, invaded from the north in approximately 732 B.C., for this was only the beginning of some difficult days for the land of Israel. For not only were the, the people being oppressed by the Assyrians, which was a foreign nation, but the nation was also walking in ignorance, distress, misery, and sin because they had walked away from the Lord. However, the good news is, is that, our, that verse 2, that second verse, the Lord promised them that their dark and difficult days would not last forever. 
For the time would come when there would be no more darkness and no more gloom. But a great light would come and bring to Israel the dawning of a new day. And if we look at the fourth chapter of Matthew, let's go to the fourth chapter of Matthew. We see that that light who was going to bring this dawning of the new day was none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So so what we see in Matthew is uh, uh, these scriptures actually being fulfilled. So let's go to Matthew, the fourth chapter, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 16. And there it reads, Now when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And this lets us know that those scriptures were fulfilled by Jesus Christ at his first coming. But it's also believed that some very other scriptures in that ninth chapter of Isaiah will be completely fulfilled by Jesus Christ at his second coming. For that's when Israel will be completely freed from the suffering of the hands of any foreign nations. That's when all military weapons will be destroyed. That's when all nations will learn war no more. As it says in Deuteronomy 33:29, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people, saved by the Lord. And if we go down to verse 6, what we see, this was all because we have a mighty God in Jesus Christ. For again, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name is called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. As the mighty God, Jesus Christ has the power to execute his wise plans. As the mighty God, he will administer his righteous kingdom. As the mighty God, all of his enemies will be defeated. As the mighty God, his throne will last forever. As the mighty God, he will ensure that everything comes to pass. And this is why we need to place our trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For we need to always remember what a mighty God we serve. Now, as we look at our text here in this ninth chapter of Isaiah, we see several truths that confirm that Jesus Christ is indeed the mighty God. And this is why we need to submit ourselves to him. So today, let's take a few look, a, a look at a few qualities of Jesus Christ that reveal that he is the mighty God. So first, let's go back to Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and we're going to look at the first part of the sixth verse. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, look at the first part of the sixth verse. And there it reads, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we want to stop right there. So the first thing we see is that Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his deity. Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his deity. Now when the scripture says, unto us a child is born, it's believed that that's speaking of our Lord's humanity. For this child Jesus was born in Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling clothing, laid in the manger when there was no room at the inn. However, when it goes on to say, unto us a son is given, it's believed that this is speaking of our Lord's deity. For this same child is a son of David who has all rights to the throne of David. 
This same child is the son of man who has all authority over this world. This same child is the son of God or God himself who has given as a gift from our heavenly father and has existed from all eternity. Thus, those six little words unto us, a son is given, reveal that our Lord Jesus Christ is more than just a man. And that's something that we must never forget. For Jesus is thought of many different ways by many different people. Some merely think he's a great religious teacher who revolutionized the world. Some believe he's a prophet like Muhammad, Confucius, or Buddha who has given miraculous powers by God. The Jehovah Witnesses teach that he was an angel created by God and then sent to this world to save mankind. The Mormons, or Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, believe that he is one God among many, and all of us are capable of becoming a God just like him. However, as good as those descriptions may sound, none of them accurately describe who Jesus Christ truly is. For simply put, Jesus Christ is God. That's what distinguishes Christianity from all the false religions of this world. For even though the world doesn't realize it, my Lord Jesus is more than just a good teacher, more than just a man, and more than just a prophet. For about 700 years before he was born into this world, Isaiah 7:14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And it was through the virgin birth that God came to us and dwelt among men. That's something that the natural mind can't comprehend. Human logic can't understand. The world doesn't believe. For how is it possible that anyone could be born of a virgin? Even Mary initially questioned it. For when she was told that by the angel, she said, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? But we need to realize the virgin birth is not just a good story. It's not just a parable. It's not something that might have happened. But the virgin birth was a miracle and a divine necessity for this was the only way to save mankind. For all of mankind inherited a sinful nature when Adam fell in the Garden of Eden. For Adam represented the entire human race. Therefore, when Adam fell, we all fell, and we were all condemned to die. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Therefore, the only way the human race could be saved was if a perfect sacrifice came, satisfied the law, and paid the death penalty for us. We couldn't pay the price because we were born in sin. As Psalms 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Therefore, whoever paid the price had to be sinless because God's law, God's righteousness demanded a perfect sacrifice. And that's why we know our Lord Jesus had to be born through a virgin. If he had come through Adam, he, had, he would have been tainted by sin. But he had to be born through a virgin. For our sacrifice could have no sin, could have no faults, but had to be perfect in every way. And thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. As the God-man, Jesus has our nature, but not our corruption. 
our likeness, but not our sin. He's the son of man, but he's also the son of God. And that's why when you look at the life of our Lord Jesus, it cannot start with the baby in the manger wrapped in swaddling clothing when there was no room at the end. But that was not the beginning of his life. Let's go to John, the first chapter. Here we see the beginning of his life. And he has existed for all eternity. John, the first chapter. Look at the uh, first verse. And there it reads, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then you go down to verse 14 and identifies who it is. Verse 14 says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came out of the eternal, everlasting glory of the Godhead. He is one with God, the second person in the blessed Holy Trinity, and he was born from a miracle from on high. And that's why in order to be saved, we must submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, and there is no other way. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior, and he is our Redeemer. He is none other than the mighty God. And this can be seen throughout the Scriptures. If you compare the Old Testament to the New Testament, the qualities of Jesus Christ are the exact same qualities of the mighty God. Let's pull up that table. That table, it looks at a couple of scriptures. Look at God in the Old Testament and look at Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The Old Testament, 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. What did our Lord say in John 10, 11? I am the good shepherd. Isaiah 44, 6. I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. What our Lord Jesus say in Revelation 1.17, fear not, I am the first and the last. David said in Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? What our Lord Jesus say in John 8.12, I am the light of the world. We all know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. What does Hebrews 1.10 say? My son in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of thine hands. Psalms 96.13, the Lord shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Now you would automatically think that's referring to God the Father. But what did our Lord Jesus say in John 5.22? The Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And these are just a couple examples. But when you look at the scriptures, we clearly see that Jesus Christ is the mighty God. And that's what God wants us to recognize during this Christmas season. He's not just a baby born in the manger, and he's no longer hanging on the cross. He's no longer in the grave, and he's no longer dead. He's not just a prophet, and he's not just a man. But Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and believing that you can have life in his name. Philippians, the second chapter, verses 9 through 11 says, Wherefore God has also highly exalted him 
and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? And that's just one reason why we should know beyond a shadow of a doubt what a mighty God we serve. Amen? Amen. Let's go back to Isaiah now. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. And let's look at verse uh, 6 and the first part of verse 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and the first part of verse 7. There again it reads, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. And we're going to stop right there. So first of all, we saw that Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his deity. The second thing we see is that Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his sovereignty. Because of his sovereignty. Now, the Hebrew word for mighty God is El Gabor. And that means one to whom all power is given. And that's a perfect description of Jesus Christ. For this lets us know that Jesus Christ is omnipotent or all-powerful and everything is under his control. Matthew 28, 18, after his resurrection, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And another way to say this is simply to say that Jesus Christ is sovereign. For that means that he is in control of everything and he has the power to do whatever he wants to do. Did you know that not a single event occurs in this world that he does not allow? And therefore, my Lord will only allow those things to occur which are for his glory. And that's why we know that all men, all women... All events, all circumstances are merely instruments in my Lord's hand. Isaiah 46.10, let's call that up. Isaiah 46.10 says, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Daniel 4.35, he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Psalms 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Sometimes when we look at the condition of this world, it's hard to believe that God is sovereign or is in control, especially when you look at 2020. Here we've got COVID-19, political division, racial injustices, random shootings, families breaking up, sexual immorality, homosexuality, abortion, prayer removed from school, evolution taught in school, people losing jobs, violence, drugs. If it's not one thing, it's another. But did you know that even with all this, my God is still in control? Still in control. For Jesus Christ is the creator of all, even of Satan. Let's go to Colossians 1.16. In the middle of your New Testament, Colossians 1.16. That's, that's right after Philippians. 
Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, and that's talking about Jesus, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And since Jesus Christ created everything, he has power over all. The world would have us to believe that there are equal forces between good and evil. Sometimes good wins, sometimes evil wins. That's what movies like Star Wars and other television programs like that try to teach us. But we must realize that everything is used for God's glory. Presidential election, racial riots, divided nation, 2020 pandemic. If you go back in history a little bit, Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, 9-11, war in Iraq, war in Afghanistan, everything is used for God's glory. Doesn't mean that there's no wickedness or pain associated with some of those things, but that does not change the fact that my God will ultimately use it for his glory. If my God can take the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus, which was the most wicked act conducted in the history of mankind, and use that for his glory, the same thing is true for anything else we might have to go through in this world. Because my God is sovereign and in complete control. And that truth should be especially comforting to the saints. For when you realize this, that everything is used for God's glory, we also realize that nothing interferes with God's plan. Nothing takes God by surprise. Nothing is done outside of God's permissive will. Nothing happens that my God doesn't know about. Therefore, every experience that we go through, every heartache that we endure, every trial and tribulation, every tear that we shed, if you are a child of God, God can still use it for his glory. Do you believe that? For my Lord can take even evil and still work it out for the child of God's good. And therefore, if we truly believe that God is sovereign, we're like Paul who said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. If you truly believe that God is sovereign, we're like Isaiah who said in Isaiah 26.3, Thou will keep me in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. If you truly believe that God is sovereign, we're willing to submissively and thankfully receive whatever God sends our way. We're like Eli, who after told that his sons would be killed because of their sin. You know what Eli said in 1 Samuel 3, 18? He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. When you realize that God is sovereign, we realize no matter what we might have to go through, no matter what the problem, 
No matter what the difficulty, we still got to place our faith and trust in the Lord. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We might not understand everything, and there's a whole lot that I don't understand. We might not think it's fair, and there's a whole lot that goes on in this world that doesn't seem fair. We might wonder why sometimes, and sometimes I do question God why. But that does not mean my God is not in control. He has a reason for everything that we go through. And he will use the child of God's experiences as a means for us to draw closer to him. Therefore, when you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign, we're like Paul who said in Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you realize that God is sovereign, you know what the Lord meant when he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. When you realize that God is sovereign, we're like David, who said in Psalms 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. When you realize that God is sovereign, you know what Romans 8, 28 means when it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And when you realize that God is sovereign, you're like Isaiah who said, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Jesus Christ is sovereign. Jesus Christ is in control. Jesus Christ is on the throne. Jesus Christ is working it out. Jesus Christ will, will be done. And that's why we should know what a mighty God we serve. Amen? What a mighty God we serve. I don't care what we see going on in this world. My God is still in control. What a mighty God we serve. All right, let's wrap it up now. Amen. Let's go to Isaiah, the ninth chapter again. We're going to look at verse 7. Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verse 7. There it reads, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So first of all, we saw that Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his deity. The second thing we saw is that Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his sovereignty And the third thing we see is that Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his righteousness. Jesus Christ is the mighty God because of his righteousness. Now in verse 7 in the King James Version says, he will establish a kingdom of judgment and justice. That means that he will establish and sustain his kingdom of justice and righteousness from that time and forevermore. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus Christ is called the Lord, our righteousness. For the word of God says he fulfilled all righteousness. The word of God says he demands perfect righteousness. And the word of God says that one day he will bring in everlasting righteousness. Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, verses 5 and 6 says, 
Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice. That's justice and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. And that gives us an indication of the importance the Lord Jesus Christ places upon righteousness. We're living in a world today where anything goes, where sin is running rampant. If it feels good, just do it. But the time is coming when the Lord will establish his perfect kingdom of righteousness, where there will be no more evil, be no more injustices, there will be no more sin. But everything and everyone will line up with the righteousness of God. And no matter how long he may tarry, the time is soon coming when he will establish his earthly and eternal kingdom. Revelation eleven fifteen says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the good news is that if you are a child of God, as saints of God, we are going to be ruling and reigning with him. Romans 8, 17 says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And when you realize this, that, that we're going to be ruling and reigning with him, that's what enables us to overcome our storms. That's what enables us to overcome our trials and tribulations. That's what enables us to overcome whatever we might be going through. Because we know our Lord Jesus finished the work, and the saints of God will soon reign with him in his righteous kingdom. And the word of God tells us there's all kinds of blessings in Christ's righteous kingdom. In his righteous kingdom, we see sin cast out. In his righteous kingdom, Satan is destroyed. In his righteous kingdom, we have mansions awaiting us. In his righteous kingdom, we'll live in a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem in all of his glory. And nothing can compare to the glory revealed in Jesus Christ's kingdom. When Queen Sheba first saw the glory and majesty of Solomon's kingdom, she said, how be it I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. And did you know Christ's kingdom is going to be just like that? For the half has not been told to us. During this time, we see sin cast out. During this time, all of God's enemies destroyed. During this time, the Lord Jesus on the throne. During this time, we see Christ in all of his glory. Daniel 7:14 says, "And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed." And if you have any doubt whatsoever about the righteous kingdom of Jesus Christ, just look at the scriptures. For here we see that everything is centered around Jesus Christ. About 25 years ago, I heard a, I heard a sermon at a church. I was just flipping, my tel- flipping the television channel, and I heard a sermon where a guest minister shared 
all the many places in the scriptures where we see Jesus. And that's something that I've never forgotten. I can't take credit for it. But to me, it's something I want to share because it's a reminder that our Lord Jesus truly is the mighty God. Just look at the scriptures. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. Exodus, he's a Passover lamb. Leviticus, he's a great high priest. Numbers, he's that star out of Jacob. Deuteronomy, he's a prophet just like Moses. Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. Judges, he's a great deliverer. Ruth, he's a kinsman redeemer. Samuel, he's a rejected king. Kings and Chronicles, he's a reigning king. Ezra, he's a faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of our lives. Esther, he's our Mordecai. Job, he's a returning redeemer. Psalms, he's the Lord, our shepherd. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our great wisdom. Song of Solomon, he's a lover and a bridegroom. Isaiah, he's a prince of peace. Jeremiah, he's a righteous branch. Lamentations, he's a weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he's a Shekinah glory. Daniel, he's that fourth man in the burning, fiery furnace. Hosea, he's a bridegroom married to the backslider. Joel, he's a baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Amos, he's a burden bearer. Obadiah, he's a mighty savior. Jonah, he's a risen savior. Micah, he's everlasting God. Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. Habakkuk, he's the anchor of our faith. Zephaniah, he's that just Lord. Haggai, he's the desire of all nations. Zechariah, he's a messenger with beautiful feet standing on a mount of olives. And Malachi, he's the son, S-U-N, of righteousness. In the Old Testament, you see Jesus, but you also see him in the New Testament. Matthew said, I saw him, he's a Messiah. Mark said, I saw him, he's a perfect servant. Luke said, I saw him, he's a son of man. John said, I saw him, he's a son of God. Acts, he's the ascended Lord. Romans, he's our righteousness. Corinthians, he's made sin for us. Galatians, he's a bondage breaker. Ephesians, he's a chief cornerstone. Philippians, he meets our every need. Colossians, he's the fullness of the Godhead. Thessalonians, he's the Lord coming for his church. Timothy, he's our mediator. Titus, he's a great God and our Savior. Philemon, he's he's the the Father's partner. Hebrews, he's the blood that sets us free. James, he's the Lord of hosts. Peter, he's a chief shepherd. John, he's everlasting love. Jude, he's able to keep us from falling. Revelation, he's King of kings and Lord of lords. (laughs) King of kings and Lord of lords. Everywhere you look in the scriptures, Jesus, 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 Jesus. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, man, I'm getting excited. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you, Lord. Just thank you, Lord, for What a mighty God we serve. Despite all that we see going on around us, it does not change the fact that you are in control. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that, that we would remember that, Lord, that we would trust in that and truly believe and know that what a mighty God we serve. Lord, I pray that because we serve a mighty God that we would follow you 
that we would submit to you, that we would serve you, Lord, and just allow you to have your way in our lives. Despite all that's going on in this world, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are in complete control. Use us, Lord, as your servants, Lord. Use us as the saints of God. And I just pray in everything we say and everything we do that we might glorify you. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.